Expert Gold Radio Show, which shows you how to grow your business by leveraging your expertise. Now here's your host, Gihan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome to the July 2012 episode of the Expert Gold Radio Show. This month we'll be talking about webinars, online courses, and the state of the professional speaking industry around the world. So let's get started talking about webinars. Last month, I played the first part of an interview with American marketing expert, author, and consultant Masha Yadkin. We talked about how business owners can use webinars as a promotional or educational tool. Now, if you missed the first part of the interview, you can listen to it at expertgoalradio.com. But now, let's jump into the second part. Hello, this is Marsha Yadkin of yadkin.com, creator of the Teleteach for Profit course. And today, I'm going to be interviewing Gihan Pereira of webinarsmarts.com, author of the book, Webinar Smarts, for some tips about how to prepare for, manage, and excel at presenting webinars. Let's talk now about how you, what, what is your physical setup? One of the things you mentioned is that in addition to your computer, which I assume is a, is that a desktop or a laptop that you're using? It's a, lap, it's a laptop computer. Got your laptop and then you have your smartphone next to it. Tell me what else the physical setup looks like. I assume you have a glass of water nearby. Tell me what else you, you have there. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. There's one other really important thing that I have, and that is my broadband internet connection plugged in. So I have broadband at home um, through, you know, through the cable, but I also have it connected to wireless. So whenever I can use it anywhere in the home wirelessly, but I would highly recommend if you're the webinar presenter, try and plug in. Uh, to the to the broadband connection rather than trying to use it wirelessly, the, it just means that the you, it's more reliable, uh, a bit faster, and less likely to have glitches. So, whenever I run a webinar, I try to make sure that I've got cable or ADSL plugged in rather than running it wirelessly. So that's the other important thing. The everything else is just comfortable chair, my normal office, my normal home office desk. Um, one thing I realised that it, is that if I close the door in my office, uh, it causes uh, audio problems, so the, the audio sounds very echoey, which I found when I did that one. So I have to make sure that I have the door open, which means I have to be careful about other distractions. So if you have pets or kids or um, other noises, other background noises, you just got to be careful that, that you make sure that they aren't going to distract you during the webinar. And you might find if you've got a small room at your office like I do, that closing the door actually affects the, the audio quality, especially in the recording. So you just have to be careful about things like that. But apart from that, it's just basically me sitting at my, my normal office desk with my computer plugged into the internet. Mm-hmm. And do you use a headset? Yes, so I would say definitely use a headset if you're the presenter. If you're in the audience, you don't need to have a headset. So most uh, the modern PCs and Macs, the the inbuilt microphone and speakers are fine. You can work with just that. But as a presenter, you want to have a better quality. So have a headset and get a USB headset because that gives you better quality again. And here in Australia, like you can get headsets fairly cheaply. It's like $50 or so. And uh, I think... Any of those headsets are fine. Uh, the USB headsets are definitely the better ones, so I'd, re- I'd definitely recommend that. So the USB headset is plugged into the computer. It's not plugged into the telephone line, correct? Oh, yeah, actually, that's, that's a good question because you can use, uh, with GoToWebinar, which is the technology that I use, you can phone in to the webinar as well, both as, an, as a participant and the presenter. You can actually present uh, over a phone line. They give you a phone number that you can call, 
or you can plug into the computer and then you just use it straight to the computer. I've only ever done it through the computer and that is generally high quality because there you're doing it over an internet connection, which is pretty high quality provided you, nobody else is downloading big movies at the same time in your home. Um, it, it's generally high enough quality and it's better quality than a phone line. Okay. I'm wondering, have you used a variety of webinar services? You have mentioned GoToWebinar uh, go most often, but have you experienced a variety of them? And is there a particular service that you would recommend is especially newcomer friendly? Yes, I think that, uh, well, I use GoToWebinar now and I use it exclusively. I've tried a couple of others. There are, there's one called AnyMeeting anymeeting.com, which is free, and it allows you, I think, up to 200 participants. It has a lot of features that GoToWebinar does. In fact, it's, it's one of many. There are many now, Marsha, many webinar services or online meeting services, and I'm sure you found the same with, the, with teleseminars and conference calls. Mm -hmm. I remember three years ago when I was doing mostly teleseminars, there seemed to be a new conference call service that, that sprung up every week or every second week. They, they were really popular and that's the same now. Um, just one thing to be careful of, or, or just one thing to keep in mind, it's not, not necessarily to be, to, it's not something to be worried about, but when you compare these, these many services, just keep in mind whether they're offering online meetings or whether they're offering webinars. And the difference is that uh, there are many services that will offer online meetings. So on Skype, for example, you can, you can pay a little bit of money to Skype. There's, there's a Skype service which allows you basically run video Skype, which does allow you to share your screen as well. So in effect, you can run a small webinar uh, using Skype. You can also do it using Google+. So Google+, has a feature called Hangouts, which is basically um, free video video conferencing, but again, it allows you to share, share your screen or share a Google document that you're working on. So there are a number of tools now that allow you to set up a live event and, and to conduct a live event. The thing I like about GoToMeeting and GoToWebinar is that, well, GoToWebinar in particular, it actually helps you with all the stuff leading up to the webinar and the stuff that you do after the webinar as well. So if you register for one of my webinars, Marsha, that as soon as you register, you get an automatic confirmation email, uh, which will add, which you can click a button, it will add it to your Outlook calendar. Um, you'll get automatic emails leading up to the webinar, some reminder emails, and I can choose how frequently they arrive. Uh, by default, they, you get one a week before, a day before, and an hour before. So all those reminders happen automatically. If I want to uh, send you a survey after the webinar, I can program that in, and it'll automatically send you a survey um, you know, seven days after the webinar. So all of that preliminary stuff and the, the follow-up stuff, GoToWebinar does, and many of these other services don't. So if you're going to be presenting a lot of webinars, and I do, and you said that the, in the introduction that I do 10 to 12 a month, and that, uh, you said up to 12 a month, and that's true, and that's regular. So regularly I run at least 10 webinars a month, so I don't want to be manually sending out reminders to people who've registered. Uh, I don't want to remember uh, the week after the webinar that I have to send out a survey to the people who, who attended. So if you're going to be running a lot of webinars, like I do, then something like GoToWebinar takes all, that, all of that trouble away from you. You don't have to do any of that manually or you don't have to have another system that does that. But if you only get to run the occasional webinar, then one of the other services is fine. So something like AnyMeeting, AnyMeeting.com, um, the free service is fine. You, you use it to set up your webinar. You'll have to send the reminders, but 
when they turn up on the day, you can run the webinar. Uh, you can run the webinar live. Mm-hmm. Great. The, the other thing I should say about GoToWebinar is that they have a um, 30 day obligation free trial. So you can you can sign up with GoToWebinar, run your first webinar or two, and see how see how well you like it, and then cancel if you don't like it. But it does give you the chance to try it out. Um, fully free uh, and fully obligation free um, to see whether you like it or not. And I've loved it. I've, I've probably run it for about probably about three years now I've been using GoToWebinar and it's pretty reliable. So twice I've had a problem um, and only once actually was GoToWebinar's problem. Hmm. Um, I live out in the country and until two years ago I had internet through satellite. And more often than not, I was unable to join webinars because of the nature of the satellite link-up. And uh, I mean, it wasn't true broadband. Maybe it wasn't fast enough or there was a delay or something, but it, it just didn't seem to, to work with some of the services. And I wonder how often you have been in a situation where people have signed up to participate in a webinar and then for technical reasons they have been unable to join join the program. Yeah, that used to happen more frequently and it's happening much less frequently now and I think that's just because the, the technology has matured. And this, the same as you, uh, Marsha, I, I don't live in the country, but three years ago when I first started using webinars, the, it was a little bit more clunky. The, there, were, there were more people who couldn't, who couldn't join and I'd get the occasional glitch more frequently than I do now. Uh, there, there haven't been major problems, uh, so probably in the three years that I've been running it, the one problem I had just once, there was once GoToWebinar was done and nobody could join, so I couldn't run the webinar. Uh, I couldn't join to start it and participants couldn't join, but that was once in three years that I've had that problem. Very occasionally, uh, I will experience audio problems where people will say, I can't hear you, and that goes away after a, couple of, after a minute or so. So there's some, and I think that's just something's happening with my internet service provider that they suddenly get slow for a minute or so. But apart from that, it's pretty reliable. Uh, and for participants as well. So uh, when I first started webinars, because you know the thing about conference calls and teleseminars, Marsha, it's, just, it's dead easy to use. People pick up the phone, they dial the number, and they're in. It's very rare that you have a problem with that. And when I first started webinars, my, my biggest fear was that I'd be getting so many tech support calls because people wouldn't be able to join the webinar. Uh, and I think if I'd started webinars when webinars were first when webinars first came out, I might have had more of those problems. But I waited until three years ago, and uh, then the, the technology was reasonably mature, and even now it's become so much better now. So I very rarely have problems, and most of the people that, uh, most of my clients, they rarely have problems either on their webinars. Um, participants occasionally have problems because they upgrade to the newest version of the Mac operating system, and then there was one recent upgrade that wasn't compatible with GoToWebinar or it blocked GoToWebinar, so then they had to download the latest version. But, but it's, it's, that's, that's rare. Uh, so now I find that most people are able to get through. It's, it's probably about the same amount of people who get stuck in traffic on the way to face-to-face presentations so they can't get there, <laughs> they can't make it. So look, I reckon, it's, I reckon the technology problems are probably about, probably about that same sort of proportion. And uh, what about corporate firewalls? So, uh, a few years ago, that used to be a problem. Have you had any problems like that um, where people were trying to get in on the webinar from their company computer and were blocked? 
Yeah, I have. I've had that. Um, it actually didn't happen to me, but it happened to one of my clients where she had she was running webinars and she found that a particular group of people couldn't get through. And they basically, after the webinar, they, they contacted her. She contacted the, the webinar company and they said, look, it's a, just get your IT department just to, to approve this Java applet and that's it. So I didn't quite understand the details. She didn't either, but their tech, tech people talked to the IT people and the IT people were happy with it uh, because generally the way the corporate firewalls, they're, they're happy to approve stuff that, that is okay. So that it wasn't a security problem. It's just a case of them saying, okay, well, we're only, only going to approve it if we've been asked to do so. So that's the only time that I've heard of that problem. Um, and again, now that more and more people are, as the technology matures, there are more firewalls that will automatically accept these signed uploads, and so you don't have to worry about uh, having to even manually ask the IT department to approve it. So I, I don't think there's so much of a problem now. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking that uh, maybe there aren't that many glitches that a beginner would have to be worried about, or are there certain things that, that, that someone who's on their first webinar should be on the lookout for to make sure that uh, they notice it if it happens or to try, to try to prevent it from happening or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And you've actually hit the nail on the head because you said, you said exactly the two things that you need to keep in mind. So one is the glitches that you need to be aware that might happen and the second is what you can do to prevent them from happening. So the, the main glitches that you find are if you, as, a, as you start out as a beginner with webinars, I reckon just start with baby steps, as I said. So try to create as few failure points as possible, which is kind of an engineering term. So try to engineer as few things that, that can go wrong. So for your first webinar, I don't recommend that you have PowerPoint and web browser windows and Excel spreadsheets and opening up the microphone for questions every few minutes and letting people raise their hands and having a public chat room. Don't do all that when you get started. You're just making life difficult for yourself. Start with a PowerPoint presentation, just, just PowerPoint slides. Don't have any fancy animation in them. They're just a series of slides that you, that you run through in your presentation. I mean, you can still have the engagement. So you still stop for questions and you allow people to type questions in. So don't worry about turning microphones on. So you still have the interaction that way. Save your... Uh, so. So that will actually minimize the problems you're going to have. Then, um, just as a backup, save your PowerPoint as a PDF file. So save it as a PDF file and have that available. You might even want to send that to your participants. Um, in the early days when I was running webinars, I would save my PowerPoint as a PDF file and upload it to my web server or to Dropbox or some account like that. And I just had it there just in case my visuals failed. I would be able to quickly send an email to all the participants saying, oh, hey, my visuals have failed. Here's a link to download the slides, and let's start again from page 17. Mm-hmm. I never had to use it, but it reassured me that it was there just in case I needed it. So you can do little backups like that. If you've got somebody who's acting as your host and they're going to be pressing the buttons, make sure that they've got a copy of your PowerPoint slides, or at least the PDF version of them. And I have seen that happen, uh, not not with me, but I've seen other webinars where for some reason the guest presenter couldn't get his, his slide presentation working, but the, so the host had the copy of the slides, and the host was running through, through the slides, and all the presenter had to say was, okay, next slide, next please, slide. Marsha. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So those are the sort of things that you can put as backup. There are things, that, and as I said, to prevent them, just, just make, it, uh, make this uh, technology as reliable as possible. So work from a comfortable, comfortable environment. Don't work in a busy coffee shop or in an airport terminal. I've, I've seen people do webinars from airport lounges, oh and they work, but 
but there is background noise and uh, uh, it, it wasn't anywhere near as effective and uh, internet's unreliable so try to try to create as uh, as reliable a technology setup as possible and uh, when you get started don't try to do too much in your webinar don't try to use all the features just because they're there just you know start your webinar say hello press the record button and then go through slide presentations stop for questions and then read out the questions as they come in that's the easiest way to get started and it's the easiest way to prevent problems and more I think Marsha to prevent the concern about problems because I find that a lot of in fact a few of my clients have kind of had to push them over the edge and said look you're good enough now you just got to do it because they think what if this goes wrong what if this goes wrong and it's actually the worry about it going wrong that causes them more of a problem than it actually going wrong is there a rule of thumb about how many slides you should plan to have for, let's say, a one-hour webinar? I've, got a, I've actually got a number, and I've got a, a rule of thumb. So look, the number, if, people want, if you really want to know uh, just a number, I reckon one slide per minute, mm-hmm. which sounds like a lot. And if you're doing a, a one-hour face-to-face seminar or one-hour training program, you'd say, oh, my God, I'm not going to have 60 slides. However... For a webinar, because your because your slides are the visuals, uh, one slide per minute is a good rule of thumb. Uh, my guideline is is this: that what's on the screen should match what you're saying at the time. So this is where I see the problem: that people will have a slide up there for five minutes, but they can't be talking about the content that's of that one slide for five minutes. So people get so their participants get distracted. They realise that this slide's on there for a long time, so that the slides aren't changing very frequently. So they're they disappear, uh, at least mentally. They'd be checking their email, they'd be doing their other things. So if you go for one slide a minute, uh, or if you think about, is what is my slide, am I now talking about stuff that should be on another slide, then then create another slide. And by the way, one thing you can do with slides that, that are quite effect, that's quite effective in a webinar is let's say you're talking about, like, you know, you know Marsha, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. I reckon... A lot of people presenting that in a face-to-face context would present a slide listing all the seven habits. And there may not be seven bullet points. They may be actually aligned and laid out more attractively, but they'd, they'd have a slide with seven things on there. And then they talk to that slide. And that slide there is a reference for people to glance, to, glance up to at any time. Now, in a webinar, if you were doing that, you should have seven slides, maybe even eight. So you'd have a summary slide with all seven. And then as you're talking through them, you switch slides to to only uh, highlight the one that you're talking about. And that's how you can get one slide per minute. It's not that you have to spend a lot of time creating new content. It's just taking the content that you've got and just breaking it down into smaller chunks into, into more slides. So that's the way that you get one slide per minute or at least make sure the slides match what you're talking about. Great. And my last question has to do with recording a webinar. So do you normally do that and... Have you ever turned a recorded webinar into a product or into uh, something that you invite people to view afterwards as a kind of canned webinar? So tell me about that. 
Yeah, so so yes and yes. <laughs> I'd recommend, I, rec I record all my webinars. Uh, there's, there's one series that I don't record, but that's because it's a private mastermind group with a small group of people, and we deliberately don't record it for, for confidentiality reasons. But all the others I record, and I make the recordings available. So I do it in a couple of ways. So the public webinars that I run every two weeks, the half-hour webinar, um, I record that, and because it's public, I'm happy to publish it to YouTube. So I have all my webinar recordings, the public ones, available on YouTube. I also run a private membership site, so this is a paid community, a paid, paid product, and I have monthly webinars for, for members of my community, and those webinars are available live, and I also make the recording available. And I find, because I can look at the stats, I find about as many people watch the recording as attend live, and sometimes more, because you know we're all busy, we can't always attend at the exact time that the webinar's on, so especially if people know there's going to be a recording available, sometimes they will just say, okay, I'll watch the recording. It does mean, it does mean that you you may get fewer people attending the live webinar because people don't make as much of an effort now to set aside the time to attend live because they know the recording is available. And when I first started doing this, I thought, oh, I better not make the recordings available because then I'll get fewer people attending. But my feeling now is that I actually want to make this information available, especially to these members who are paying a monthly fee to be part of, the, part of this membership site. I want to make this information available, and they shouldn't miss out just because they can't make it on, on the day. So now, even though I know that it, it means I get fewer people attending live, I make the recording available as well. And uh, the, the recording is, is dead easy. It's much easier than recording a face-to-face -face presentation where you have to get somebody to come in and do a, do a video for you, and you have to, again, think about lighting and so on. With GoToWebinar, you just press the Start Recording button when you start, and then stop recording at the end, and the, recording, the, the actual recording is just sitting there on my PC. And the recording, is that something that gets hosted on GoToWebinar, or is it something you need to download and then post on your own website? Yeah. So it, it's, it's both. There's, there's two plans with GoToWebinar, one which includes hosting and one which doesn't. So when I signed up, I don't think they even had this, the plan with hosting, so I hosted with another service. The one that I use is called Sprout Video, so like in Brussels Sprout. So Sprout Video is like a private YouTube. So you publish your, you, you upload your webinars there, and then it gives you the, the video embedding code, which you can then embed in a, in a website or a blog, or in my case, in my private membership site. So I use that. It's $10 a month, and so far I've not had to upgrade to the higher plan, even though there's three years worth of webinars hosted up there. So yes, it's, um, the, the file just sits on my PC as soon as the recording is complete. It's there on my PC. I don't need to download it. Unlike most teleseminar services, where the MP3 file is actually hosted on the service, isn't it? And you can download it if you want to. Good. Well, I have learned a lot during this hour, and I want to thank you for educating not only me, but all of our listeners. If you would like to check out my Teleteach for Profit course, go to www.yudkin.com slash teleteach.htm. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise today. This is Marsha Yudkin. Bye-bye. Webinars are a powerful tool for marketing, training, coaching, and customer service. Get Gihan's book, Webinar Smarts, from webinarsmarts.com and tap into the awesome power of webinars. 
I recently had the pleasure and privilege to chat with Terry Brock and Scott Friedman, who are both well-known names in the speaking industry, and they're both experts in what's happening with speaking and thought leadership around the world. Scott's a past president of the National Speakers Association in the USA, and he also works extensively in Asia, so he was able to share his experience of the speaking industry in both of those regions. Terry's also American, and he travels everywhere, so he also knows what's going on around the world. And I was able to contribute my perspective, which was the Australian perspective. We recorded the conversation using Skype, uh, and Terry managed it, and he did a brilliant job of polishing and publishing it. So let's join that conversation now. Hi, I'm Terry Brock, and we have got a treat for you today. We're going to find out about what's happening with speaking around the world as we have a focus on some different areas. Joining us right now from their respective offices is Gihan Pereira, joining us from Perth, Australia, where it is early, early morning. Gihan, good morning. Good to have you with us. Thanks, Terry. Good to be here. And we also have joining us from uh, one of his offices in Denver, Colorado, who a person who gets over to uh, Singapore and Malaysia, Thailand a lot, Scott Friedman. Scott, thanks for joining us. Uh, great to be here, and glad it's not as early as it is here or here as it is in Australia. Yes, that's right. It seldom is, that's right, or something like that. <laughs> However, I predict that you will eventually have morning there in Denver. So uh, it, it just happens now and then. Well, gentlemen, the reason I asked you to join me, and for those of you watching this, is we want to find out some of the key areas of how the speaking industry is changing. The profession of speaking is undergoing a lot of change right now, we're seeing that. And so we want to look at what's happening in different areas of the world. Of course, I'm here in the United States, in Orlando, Florida, and Gihan, you've got a real good perspective on what's happening, not only with Western Australia, where you are in Perth, but also over in uh, Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, the eastern part, Adelaide, around there. What do you see happening, and how is speaking changing, professional speaking changing, right now in this environment? Well, one of the things that's happening in Australia is that we've been pretty lucky, Terry. We've been, uh, we actually, our economy is quite strong. So even though we've got strong links with the USA, strong links with Europe, strong links with Asia, we still seem to be doing it uh, by ourselves. And because of the resources, the mining industry, uh, the Australian economy is pretty strong. So we probably haven't been hit as hard as some of the other parts of the world, uh, which means that lots of Australian companies haven't been hit as hard, which means, of course, that speakers are still getting some of the business. I mean, don't get me wrong, it doesn't, it's not as easy as it was, say, five, six years ago. But it is better, and particularly in uh, in the speaking industry, uh, I think there's been a bit of a lift recently. Uh, I reckon about 2008, 2009, there were companies who were who were losing conferences and cancelling conferences and doing a lot of in-house speakers instead of getting uh, paid external speakers. Uh, but that's starting to shift now, and particularly in the eastern side of Australia, uh, that is, uh, I'm hearing from my clients that they are getting business again. Mm -hmm. So the Australian economy uh, has kind of been insulated from some of the things that have been going on with the with the GFC. Okay. And mind you, that. It's not completely true. I think the retail sector is still really struggling here. Mm -hmm. and uh, But here in Western Australia, we've been a bit lucky because we do have a very strong mining industry. And so Perth is really booming. Mm -hmm. But other parts of Australia are still um, taking it a little bit slower to, to make their recovery. Yeah, we're hearing about the mining and what's happening there. And of course, with China, uh, wanting more and more of the uranium that you have and, uh, and other things as well. I think there's a lot going on there. So that's interesting. Well, Scott, you get over to Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand a lot, and uh, you see what's going on on the ground there. What do you see happening? What are professional speakers doing now uh, that's a little bit different today than it was a few years ago? Well, there's still a strong demand in Singapore and Malaysia. 
good news is the government owns or is linked to many corporations and organizations over there. So there always seems to be uh, plenty of work, especially with the uh, government supporting training through their HRD fund in Singapore and Malaysia, not so much in Thailand. But uh, I think the the major difference I've seen recently is the onslaught of blended learning, where they love a speaker to come in where they can connect with the speaker eye to eye, but then follow up with an online learning program, webinars, teleseminars. So mm-hmm. you, you see a, a good combination of the two, but it usually starts with that that face-to-face interaction. Yeah, interesting. As I'm seeing the same type of thing that now we're utilizing the technology. Corporations realize they can't just say, okay, we're going to stop all training. We're going to stop all meetings because that's going to hurt them long-term. That's not a good way to be strengthened and have a good uh, fiber and a position in the marketplace in a tough market. But instead, they might bring the speaker in physically, but then they want a little bit more. They want to be able to have those webinars. They want to have those teleseminars. And what we're seeing now is more programs like Skype programs where you can have a presentation. The speaker is one place talking to the group live and direct, interacting over Skype. And we're seeing those kinds of things uh, tend to be happening a little bit more. Gihan, are you seeing any of that in Australia? Yeah, I think you put that really well, Scott, the blended learning. Uh, in fact, in some ways, Australia, because we've got a small population, I mean, we're as big as the U.S. in terms of size, but we've only got 20 million people and it means the market's a lot smaller, and Australian corporations and Australian businesses have always wanted really high value from their speakers, and it's even more so now. So now that the technology is there, um, businesses are, are demanding it. So we're definitely seeing that. Uh, and as you say, Scotty, it's not only after the presentation, but even before. Yeah. So you might have a survey before the presentation. You might have a, even some sort of planning webinar before a workshop to help people get prepared for it. And then, after, uh, and then afterwards, as you say, they want follow-up. Um, Ian Hutchinson, who's a very well-known speaker here, you, you guys probably both know him, he said recently on a webinar that Basically, if you're not doing performance or productivity in some form, you know, you may not call it that, but if you're not offering performance or productivity, it's very hard to get booked. And that's uh, that's basically on your content and also in the way that you deliver. So I think that even though the speaking business is strong here, um, clients and audiences are expecting much more return on investment and much more than just the 45-minute keynote or the one-day workshop. So what we see is a change where clients are now more embracing the technology like Skype, webinars, and those kinds of things, and they want that as an integral part of the experience. Scott, are you seeing that happen over in uh, Singapore, Thailand, and uh, Malaysia? It kind of reminds me uh, of the publishing industry around the world now where when you go with a publisher, they expect you to sell your own books, and they make sure that you buy enough of them to they make money. That's the way they make their money today is Mm. by making you sell your own books and be a part of that uh, relationship with your with your readers. Uh, same thing in, in in speaking. You know they want you to uh, they want you to be a part of selling it ahead of time, doing a little bit of pre work, and then uh, follow up. I've never seen so much accountability uh, mm-hmm. before that clients are looking for. That like like Ian had mentioned that uh, you know they want to make sure that uh, there's some kind of performance enhancement or productivity taking place, and they'll follow up on that uh, with some form of 
tool or feedback. Yeah, exactly. I think I'm finding that with clients that are asking for it. And what I'll often do is build a web page for them for that specific event. And where I might have a Skype video interview, much like this, talking about, you know, talking with some of the other speakers to say, okay, Mary and Sally, you're going to be speaking at the Widget Makers Conference in uh, East Wakahuga, which a lovely place to visit, by the way, Scott. You'll have to go there sometime. And, uh, you know, we're going to be there. we got the convention coming up and everything. So, Mary, what do you see happening in the industry, and what are you going to be talking to us about there? And so it's a promo for that, but also have it laden with a lot of content, not just come to our great convention, but give them, you know, we're going to cover five points that you need to succeed here in the widget industry. And so I'll say, well, Mary, what's the first one you're going to give? Give us something really of substance. And I find that meeting planners are saying when they see that video, they definitely see a rise in registration. They can put the video then on their site, and so it becomes something like Gihan, you were saying, beforehand, they've got that. And then afterwards, we're talking about, here's what we covered at the East Guacahuga Convention. It was great, looking at all of us holding hands and singing the way they do in East Guacahuga, and we're having a great time and just uh, talking about these things. And so it's like it becomes more than just a one-time event. It becomes something way before and way after. Gihan, are you seeing those kinds of things happening? Yeah, absolutely, Terry. And I really like the word you use, substance, because I think Australian audiences, I think we're pretty tough on our speakers Mm -hmm. as as an audience member and as audiences. And I think speakers from other countries have come to Australia have maybe been a bit surprised at how much substance and value we expect from audiences. Uh, And I think also because we're a small country, we've kind of... We're pretty good at looking at uh, getting education from all around the world. So we don't just look at our own, only tiny little corner of the world. So there are people now in, in organizations who watch TED videos regularly or they, they listen to podcasts. And so they're up to date with what's going on in the world. So, and if you're, if you're speaking in that area and you're not completely up to date, there'll be people Googling on their iPads while you're speaking and challenging you on their Twitter back channel if you've got that set up. And so... I think more and more, um, you know, as speakers, we can look at that as a threat or a risk, or we can look at it as an opportunity. So more and more, I'm seeing speakers who are who are bringing in stuff from elsewhere, and it's not just their own unique material, but it could be also their you know, their unique view on other people's material and their, their perspective on a TED video or a Seth Godin podcast. Uh, uh, Blog, uh, blog post or something like that and then bring that in and that helps as well because it, yes. it helps to make everything else that they're seeing or reading or watching um, more relevant and more meaningful to their particular situation. So, yeah, I think that in Australia, speakers have to be um, much more than just themselves and just their one isolated, one isolated uh, uh, presentation. Yeah. It's got to be bringing other things as well with real substance. Definitely. It's one of the things I've seen here in the United States. We'll say, hey, get rich in your niche. And we'll say, or as they'd say in Europe, your niche. But it's we niche and your rich sounds better. It rhymes. Scott, don't you think that rhymes better right there as an American? <laughs> Yeah, as opposed to get rich in your rich, niche. Yeah, and you're, yeah, it doesn't work. But I think the key is I find that in Australia you become more diversified. You do have a lot because you have to with a smaller company. In the United States we could do that, I think, in the past. But uh, we do see those kinds of comparisons that are going on. Scott, are you seeing that also with, where they're looking at uh, a more global view over in Singapore, Thailand, and Malaysia? I think it's it's consistent around the world, I, you know, whether it's in, uh, in here in America or over in Asia. You know, one one of the major trends I've seen recently is this the the TED the TED conference mm-hmm. that that eighteen minute. You know, if you can't say it in eighteen minutes, and you then you can't say it. That you you see a lot of a lot of 
speaker groups or companies, association meetings, embracing that style. And now I've heard from speaker bureaus that that's, they're looking, that's their go-to place now to find speakers is to go through the, uh, the, t- the, Ted, the TED site and see what new, what's new out there. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we'd be able to say it as fast as possible and yeah. really point and, and cross and, and have the necessary content. Yeah. And to that point, I see the same thing with videos that we do. I tend to like to put out a lot of content, and I would interpret quality as a 30 to 45-minute video. The challenge is people don't watch that, even though I produced it. I mean, can you figure that? Can you believe that? Just because I produced it, they should see it. But I guess they've got other ideas and other things to do than watch my videos. So keeping them short, we're finding three to five minutes on YouTube and being packed with information and short and concise. But sometimes there's also a place for those longer videos. Gihan, you do a lot with videos and screencasting. You've got some excellent material. And by the way, please give us your website where we can find some of that information with your Guru Network. What is that website we can go to? Yeah, the main place is is GihanPereira.com. And spell that for us, please. Yeah, it's G-I-H-A-N P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. And you're right, Terry, with with, uh, my public web... uh, Around public webinars, I run two a month, and they run for about 30 minutes to 40 minutes each. And for that, I take the recording and put that on YouTube because it's public, so it might as well go on YouTube. Uh, and as you say, it's just a screenshot, so you can see the screen and you mm-hmm. can hear my voice. Um, and I've been resisting this video, I must admit, Terry and Scott and everyone watching, that I've been resisting the idea of doing video. I think I've got one of those faces for radio, but uh, I, I want to do more video. And uh, for exactly the reason that you said, Terry, so just a two to three, maybe a five-minute video clip of me just talking about one of my points, and it's 99% value, and then just mention my website at the end. Yeah. And the more that I do that, the more that bureaus and meeting planners and uh, and conference organizers will be searching and will find that, and yeah. they'll, see, right. they'll see something of me in action. Yeah, I think that's the key, and I think it's a combination that we need to have the three to five minutes or something real short that grabs our attention. We go, ooh, I like this guy, and then we say, okay, we've got this 30 to 45-minute content-rich material here that you block in time, and you say, okay, we're going to do that. And a lot of companies can say, that will be our Monday morning meeting. So we want, we've got an hour, hour and a half for the Monday morning meeting, and they can sit down and watch a, a video where they really learn some content they need and be able to do that. Scott, what role do you see technology playing in uh, those countries of Singapore, Thailand, and uh, Malaysia? What kind of things are you seeing happening with technology there? Well, again, I think it's very consistent around the world. I, I look at what Mark Sanborn and Larry Wink and Bob Berg and Sally Hogshead did with that year of success. Yes, very good. And they're doing that three to five minute video again. Really, the, the lesson, the, just the the quick lesson, fast, and and uh, and then you're on for the the next day, basically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I I see that. Uh, you know, we used to say, well, that's Terry Brock does that kind of stuff. I mean, it'll it'll never become mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> He's a freak of nature. That Terry We've Brock. Known that, yeah. <laughs> now it's uh, you know, now I I, mean, I, I think that especially in a competitive marketplace, mm-hmm. if we can uh, differentiate ourselves, and really it's not even differentiating ourselves anymore. It's pretty much just uh, being able to keep up with the game. But they, they expect us to be great when we're there, before we're there and after we're there. And, and I think that's the trend really no matter, uh, no matter what country you're in. I mean, they're, they're looking for more usable, relevant material that they can put into their lives right away. 
and they want it before and they want it after. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think this is something we're seeing worldwide. I did a video recently with Alan Stevens and with Paul Dutois from England and from the South Africa uh, chapters that we have there and their organizations, and they are seeing the same type of thing, that meeting planners want a longer-term relationship, not just a come in, you do the speech, get your check, and then leave, but they want something that is a longer-term learning experience, and really, it's better for everyone. We get a chance as speakers to know their industry more, to know the people, to know the inside areas, where they're hurting, where they need help, and where we can bring that to play in maybe not our keynote, but we find it two weeks later. Well, we bring it in on the webinar that we're going to do two weeks later or that Skype presentation we're going to make available. Or right now we're seeing live streaming. So what we can do is then create a program that is available, say, every 2 o'clock Eastern time. But, of course, it's recorded, and now they have access to that where we can deal with it and be able to bring in Skype presentation with two people like I'm doing with you right now, but also broadcast that live and have it later available on demand, really leveraging technology to the fullest. We're seeing those kinds of things happening. So I think there's a lot going on. Gian, what were you going to say? I was just going to add another point too, and you've, you've actually brought this up earlier, and I think a lot of speakers and a lot of business owners look at video and a lot of the things we're talking about as a way of generating leads, so getting people who've never heard of you to to then get in touch. But I think it's a really powerful tool for converting those leads as well. And you said, Terry, that you use video um, to take video people before the, before the conference, before the event. Your friends, Max Hitchens, he uses, yes. he's fantastic with technology and he uses video really, really well. And one of the things yes. he's told me he started doing is he's doing uh, video proposals. So he'll just shoot a short video and send it to the meeting planner who's been in touch with him. And you might send a five-minute video, and you know now with the Mac software, it's so easy to produce really high-quality um, uh, post-production on your video. Yes. Uh, and he'll send that, and it's a way of getting the job even after the, you know, after the meeting plan has been in touch uh, of saying, look, here's what I can do for you. And so they're really clever innovative ways that people can use technology now, not just to get the business, not just to get the lead in the first place, but to convert that lead into actual business. Yeah, we've seen speakers doing that for a while where they actually sit down and they talk to the people, use their names, talk about the issue that you're going through uh, in your industry. I'm going to address that, et cetera, et cetera. And they sometimes now can play that at the committee meeting when they're sitting around the table deciding which speaker they're going to actually use. Scott, are you seeing yep. some of those things happen also? You know, I... Interesting. I just uh, published my book, Celebrate Lessons Learned from the World's Most Admired Organizations. And it was with a Malaysia publisher, and it's, it's just out in Singapore, Malaysia. And I, the way I did the, finish the book or did my research was all on Skype. So uh, it, you know, early, in the, early in the morning or late at night, I'd be talking to India and, you know, for 30 minutes inside the, uh, the boardroom or a, a private office of, uh, of an HR director or CEO and was able to talk to people that 10 years ago I would have never been able to talk to. But just making the contact through LinkedIn or through a friend of a friend or colleagues or the Global Speakers Federation Network, and I got to places that, uh, you know, it's, it's like, wow. I mean, now I, now I, I look at some of these, these Skype videos that I, I had to choose from for the material, and it's like, you know, I, for once in my life, I actually have content. Yeah, what a concept. You have content. Wow, we got to write this down. Ladies and gentlemen, own, this is a first. Scott Friedman yeah. has content. <laughs> so. yeah, it's, I mean, it really is amazing. I, you know, you look at Joe Calloway's new, uh, maybe not so new anymore, but where he interviews the CEOs on stage, and that's a, one, of his, uh, one of his differentiators and does it so well. But uh, to be able to 
to bring in those Skype conversations or to to do live video. I mean, that, you know, exactly. I mean, we're not the the sage on the stage anymore. As right. long as we can bring in relevant material, there's so many better ways to do it today. Yep, absolutely. And I know you get a chance to see a lot of that, and often you see what's happening in other parts of the world, and people might want to find out about that. Scott, if somebody wants to reach you and get in touch with you, what's the best place for them to go and find out about that? Scottfriedman.net is my is my website. Okay, and, and please spell that for us. Uh, S-C-O-T-T-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N dot net. Very good. Scott at scottfriedman.net. Okay, dot net. We want to make sure we do the dot net, N-E-T. Or you'll end up with a a real estate agent up in New Jersey. And if I'm not interested in real estate in New Jersey, I don't know. Gihan, would you like some real estate in New Jersey? Well, it depends. Does he have content? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to say. Well, gentlemen, this has really been good. I appreciate you joining me for this. And I know those of you that are watching probably getting some good information out of this. Think about how the world is changing for professional speakers. There's a lot of opportunities. Yes, some doors are closing, but that also means, hey, there's other good openings and we're going to see a lot there of course see we got to put the motivational positive spin on it as speakers right it's like whatever happens like the door closes we know that another one might not be open either so you know it could be either way on that window go through the window through the window that's right we could do the window or something (laughs) so gentlemen thanks, (laughs) thanks for joining me and i will look forward to seeing you again take care now thanks terry thanks terry thanks scott I was thrilled to discover last week that Forbes magazine included me in their top 10 list of social media influencers in book publishing. And that included big names in publishing like O'Reilly Media. So I was really, really thrilled about that. I'm particularly pleased because of the method that they used to choose people. The criteria they used weren't just about the number of followers, which they call reach, but also included things like the ability to engage a community, which they call resonance, and how it fits their particular circumstances, which they call relevance. And I've always advised people to focus on quality rather than quantity, so it's pleasing to see that this is now being measured and recognised, especially by such a big name as Forbes. And I think these three things, reach, resonance and relevance, are excellent guidelines if, if you're thinking about your own internet marketing strategy. In today's world, which is fast, flat and free, you can't just try to reach everybody. Now, numbers are important, but it doesn't matter how many people you have if they aren't engaged with you because your material isn't right for them. So I reckon you should aim for all three, reach, resonance and relevance. Facebook, Google and Apple have changed the way the world works. Most business owners don't know the rules have changed. Get Gihan's book, Fast, Flat and Free, from fastflatandfree.com and learn how to make the internet work for you. I run a members-only webinar for the eGurus community every month. This month's webinar is about advanced webinar techniques. So the eGurus community, that's my private membership site for thought leaders, infopreneurs, and business professionals. So members of the community pay $50 a month. They get access to me and many of my resources. Uh, In the community, we're also continuing our two mastermind groups this month. One's about membership sites and the other one's about authorship. So if you're interested in building or growing a paid membership site for your business or in creating new material in writing or audio or video, Join us in these groups. You can sign up to the webinar and the mastermind groups in the eGurus community if you're a member. You can also watch the recording of last month's webinar where we talked about how to create online learning modules using TED.com's brilliant new TED Ed service. 
Are you a speaker, trainer, coach, consultant, or thought leader? If you'd like to use the internet to get more business or deliver your material, join the eGurus community. Find out more and sign up at eGurus.info. Last month, I talked about the value of online courses for you, your audiences, and your clients. Again, if you missed that segment, you can listen to it at expertgoalradio.com. This month, I'd like to go a little bit further and explain how to create the material for your online courses. And I'm going to show you how to do it fast. How? By creating a course from existing material. Here are seven easy ways that you can create an online course from existing material. Number one, convert a workbook. So if your training program or seminar already has a detailed handout or workbook, consider delivering that as an online course instead of giving it out to attendees at the workshop itself. The material is already highly relevant to the program because it was designed for it, so it's a perfect fit for a follow-up course after the live workshop. Now, of course, this means that you have to provide a different handout at the workshop, or none at all, but that might just be a cut-down version of the full handout, which is pretty easy to create. Um, As I said, you might decide you don't need a handout at all for the live workshop and all you have to do is deliver it as an online course later. Number two, summarize book chapters. If you've put all the work into writing a book, then you've obviously thought about organizing your material logically and delivering it in the right sort of sequence. So it's easy to create an online course that delivers the material in the same sections and in the same sequence. Of course, you won't deliver the entire book chapter by chapter, but what you do is you deliver a summary of each chapter in each course module. Now, this is exactly what I did with my book, Fast, Flat and Free. The book has nine main chapters, so I made an online course with nine modules and delivered one module a day for nine days. So it's a very compressed online course. Each module is about three to 400 words long, so it's about one page if you printed it out. And it's broadly the introductory text of that chapter. If you'd like to register for that course, it's free. You can just go to gihanperera.com, go to the online courses section, and you can register for that, the fast, flat, and free online course. Number three is to extract articles from a book. So just said that your course can provide an overview of a book. You can also change it slightly and deliver even more value by sending more detailed material in each module. All you've got to do is identify chunks of the book that you can extract as individual articles. And then you send those articles as an online course. I did this with my other book, Webinar Smarts, which is about planning and presenting high-quality webinars. This is much more of a how-to book than fast, flat, and free, so it would have been less useful for me to just send a summary of each chapter. Instead, what I do is take articles from the book and send an in-depth article every two weeks to subscribers. Again, each article is about three to 400 words long, but this time it's much more detailed and much more specific, and not necessarily in the same sequence as they appear in the book. This course is also free, so if you'd like to experience it, go to webinarsmarts.com and register for the course there. So number four is to collate related newsletter articles. So the previous idea was to take articles from a book, but you can also turn it the other way around. Rather than extracting articles from a book, you can collect articles that you've previously written and collate them in an appropriate sequence and then deliver them as an online course. Now, if you publish a regular newsletter or blog, this is going to be very, very easy to do. It's even easier if you've been tagging your blog posts as you publish them, because then it's easy to see everything you've written on a particular topic. Simply look through the list, identify some that could be included in your course, put them in the right order, and you've done 90% of the work. And that just becomes your online course. 
Number five is to convert a list of bullet points. So this is about expanding material that you've got. In all of the previous ideas, you provide substantial material. So as I said, about three to 400 words in each course module. But there's no net reason that your material has to be so long and detailed. Sometimes your course participants will prefer and they'll appreciate receiving a shorter message. So like just one screen in their email program, especially if it's still relevant and practical. So look for a list of things that you teach and consider whether you can deliver each item in the list as a module. Now you might have to expand that each item into a paragraph or two, but don't go much further than that. For example, if you've written something like the top 10 tips for running better meetings, each of those 10 tips can be a course module where you just, the this male subject is the tip itself, and then you have one or two paragraphs that explains it in a little bit more detail. This is exactly what I did with my 10 minute reputation builders course, which shows you how to boost your online reputation in no more than 10 minutes a day. Now it started life as a 20 point list, actually it was in my book, Fast, Flat and Free, and I simply copied that to a course and expanded each item slightly. Again, this is a free course which you can register for, so if you're interested, you can go to gihanperera.com, go to the online courses section, and then register for that 10-minute reputation builders. Number six of seven is to choose inspirational quotations. So another easy way to create an online course is by sending an inspirational or motivational quotation in each course module. Some people think this is a waste of space, and I, I certainly don't like the people who overdo this on Twitter or Facebook, but many people do like receiving a daily, a weekly, or monthly dose of inspiration. So collect relevant quotations, particularly if they're related to your topic area, and send them in a regular online course. Again, this is something that I do. I do this with my Create the Future course, which sends you a quotation and photograph that's associated with that quotation and it sends that once a week so every Monday morning you get to start your week with an inspirational quotation and a photograph again that course is free so if you go to gihanperera.com you can register for that and finally, number seven is to use other people's material. Keep in mind that you don't always have to provide your own material in your online courses. Just because it isn't your own material doesn't mean that it's not valuable. Your course participants will still value the fact that you've gone through, you've sifted through all the material that's out there and handpicked what's most relevant for them. So they will value that. Just be sure that you've got permission to use that material. Now, if you're just linking to that material on a public web page, you don't need to ask for permission. But if you're including any of that material directly in your course modules, be sure that you've got the copyright owner's written permission to do so. For example, one of the easiest ways to create a high-content online course is by finding a series of relevant videos from YouTube or TED.com and simply using them as your course material. In each course module, you just link to that video and add a paragraph or two explaining why you think it's relevant for your participants. Okay, so that's seven ideas. Which of these could work for you? Not all of these ideas will work for everybody, but I'm sure you can find some that'll work for you. In all these cases, you're duplicating material that's already been published, mostly published by yourself, but sometimes even published by other people. But don't ignore these ideas for that reason alone. Just because it's been published elsewhere doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. Some of your course participants, in fact, they need to get the material delivered to them as intervals so that they'll take action when they get their email in their inbox. So they'll appreciate you putting the thought into delivering it this way. So those are seven easy ways to create an online course. If you'd like to know more about that, you might be interested in my two workshops that are coming up in Sydney next month. One's about webinars and the other's about online courses. 
The one about webinars is on Monday the 6th of August. I'll show you how to plan, prepare, promote and present an effective webinar. So I'll show you how to prepare, how to set a price, how to take payments, what to send to people before the webinar, what to put in your PowerPoint slides, what not to put in your PowerPoint slides, how to present the live webinar, how to conduct live polls during the webinar, how to record it, how to follow up after the webinar and more. So this is a one day workshop, but it's a practical workshop. So I want you to actually do all the work for it yourself. So you're going to walk out with the slides ready, you'll have your sales letter written, you'll have the webinar ready for registration, and you'll feel pretty confident about using the technology. We'll do everything except, of course, running the webinar itself, but you'll be ready to do that. And the next day, on Tuesday the 7th of August, I'll be running the course about online courses, which, as we've talked about already, are typically sent by email at regular intervals to the people who, who are in your audiences or your clients. So I'll show you how to create a course fast. I'll show you how to set your price right. I'll show you how to do things like put audio, video, and surveys in it. I'll show you even how to sell courses from your website if that's something that you want to do. And again, this is a practical workshop. So you're going to walk out at the end of it with a live online course ready to sell. So it's ready to go at the, de- end, at the end of the day. So if you'd like to attend either of these workshops, visit gihanperera.com and you'll see links at the top right of the page. You can register for one or for both. Look forward to seeing you there in Sydney in early August. So that's it for the July 2012 Expert Girl Radio Show. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something that you can use in your business. Thanks to the beautiful Sharon Kerwood for helping with the voiceovers. I look forward to having you join us again in August. Thanks and bye for now. You've been listening to the Expert Gold Radio Show. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.